In view of your answer on the allegation of bias due to unanimous decisions being an indication that the decision confirms the legal, the legal position, would you advise our friends on the other side who seem unhappy at the James Kwachi case and Honorable, case. can you reframe your question, please? She has no business advising any side. Please. Would you, you want to ask a question on the law? Okay. Please do. Would you encourage all parties before the courts to use the legal processes to adv uh, advance, advance whatever position that they want and or live with the decisions of the courts, whether they like it or not. Thank you. <laughs> the courts produce their rulings and their judgments. And beyond that, we have no other opinions. Yes, Honorable Fuseja. <laughs> Congratulations, my lady. Thank you. My lady, the courts are choked. Litigation is expensive. And we all agree that it takes too long a time for litigants to get justice. What will you do? in promoting alternative dispute resolution if you are given the nod as a Chief Justice? I'm very grateful for that question. A lot of work has been done. I intend to increase the tempo of that work. As you know, we have CI 133 that was intro introduced in the CI for, to, uh, as an amendment to CI 47 to allow for pre-trial settlement of commercial matters, both at the circuit court and at the high court. Um, and so that means that in every commercial matter now, the, the litigants can engage with pre-trial settlement. But as you know, mediation can be expensive because mediators have to be paid. Um, of course, they are not paid at commercial premium, um, but they have to be paid. At least there has to be a budget for it. And so I will, I will engage all those involved in supporting ADR because really it's the best gift to any disputing group. There's no appeal because it, the outcome is a contract. There's no appeal. So litigation ends very quickly and you are not confined to the claims you brought to court. You can always negotiate a better deal for yourself. So I will work assiduously. I am happy. And I'll be watching out when you are giving the note to see how you help ADR progress. Thank Mind you me. very much for that promise. Because of you, I will work. Thank you. <laughs> My next will be to know your favorite chief justice or justices your reason for making them your favorite, and what you can do to improve what you like about them. Kindly, kindly allow me not to choose a favorite. I, worked with, I have worked under four chief justices, 
and I have enjoyed working under all of them. Currently, I'm working under an acting chief justice, and I'm enjoying working under him. And so do allow me not to choose a favorite. And I have found that all our chief justices have been excellent people. Those I have worked under. But you can answer the next bit without mentioning names, what you like about things they, they did, and what you seek to do even more in respect of the things you Honorable like Elizabeth Tejari, she has answered. She has worked all of them. They are very good. So if she wants her to tell you what more she can add, I think she has answered that question, even what legacy she wants to leave. So I'll suggest that you ask another question, please. Well, I'll let it go. My Thank next you. will be your take on custodial uh, punishment in respect of sentences that allow judges to either give a fine or a custodial sentence, your take on that one. Because we know that prisons are choked. I agree with you. You know, um, penalties are designed to be reformatory. And so I think that if fines can solve the problem, then it's best not to send one more person into custody. I wish you all the best. Thank you very much. Honorable Quarte. Thank you very much, Mr. Chair. Your leadership, uh, congratulations on your nominations. Thank you, sir. The chair, one of the challenges that uh, the Regional Coordinating Council continuously is faced with is um, issues of uh, delay in justice about land cases in courts. We know that uh, the land tenure system in this country clearly does not encourage people, if you like, to wait for the processes to go through before even they commence work on their land. Currently, as we speak, there are so many land cases, land dispute cases in courts. One example that I can cite is uh, Jessaran Bortiman that has taken 23 years in court. Um, what do you think can be done in delivering justice in time so as to boost the confidence of the ordinary Ghanaian who want to go through due process in determining the legitimate owner of a land? I think an increased use of technology. We've been looking at technology that allows the superimposition of plans very quickly and clearly when cases are commenced. And that's one area that I'll be extremely interested in moving along very quickly. Um, because a lot of the delay comes not from the fact of the conflict, but from deciding what exactly the issues are and how to resolve those issues. And then also, sometimes parties deliberately start a case in court and don't want it to end. 
and, 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 and sometimes somebody gets an injunction and then he goes to sleep. And because of the independence of the judiciary, it is not our remit to wake cases up when parties have not come to court. So we have to begin a new engagement with what are case management rules. If a plaintiff starts a case and is not following it up, how do we strike it off? If after certain, of course, after certain conditions. So technology, case management, rules again, and then um, training, increasing the capacity of judges and also lawyers on practical issues. I understand, I, I, I hear what you are saying on different levels, and I'm answering on different levels. Thank you very much. Um, let me borrow some of the words you used in your earlier responses to questions that were posed by my colleagues. Responsibility, compassion, and network with the community. Now, like Honorable Obiamwa earlier said, I'm sure Honorable Obiamwa in the last 20 years may not have engaged in continuous education, but he's a good lawyer. Um, there's this issue going around about a decision that is likely to emerge from the quarters of the judiciary regarding continuous education of legal practitioners. What are your views on this matter? Legal education, sorry. I recall that she spoke to that a couple of minutes ago. If there's any direct thing that you want to retake, but otherwise she has responded on a question like that. Uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, further and better particulars will not be bad at all. Here's my lot. Regulation is a part of professionalism, and I think that uh, the conversations around regulating our profession um, are, are appropriate. If the Judicial Council, the General Legal Council, the Board of Legal Education wants certain um, interventions to increase professionalism, it is useful that the stakeholders give their feedback, and then everybody arrives at a good, at a good position that will be complied with. That would be my answer. Thank you very much. Mr. Speaker, my final question will be the verse that she eloquently quoted. Um, how would you balance your position as a devout Christian, evangelism and the practice, and the legal practice? Um, well, you, that's what you put it. Uh, if I should quote what you said earlier. Um, so with your belief and achieve justice, somebody commits a crime, how do you balance the two? I can assure you there's no conflict. <laughs> there's no conflict. The law is the law. 
and Christian doctrine is Christian doctrine. And where they merge, that's fine. Where they don't merge, my work in the law is in the law. The speaker, I follow up. So in church, you will believe what the Bible says. And then in court, you believe what the law says. Absolutely, because in, in, the, in church, I'm required to be true to whatever circumstance I'm in. That's what integrity is. In court, I'm to abide by the law. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Any more from, yes. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Um, Mr. Chairman, my first question has to do with the issue of JUSAC. The staff of JUSAC has reported have expressed issues about intimidation and coercion anytime they want to express their unhappiness about the work environment. In 2019, for example, the leadership of JUSAC were almost sacked when they embarked on a strike. Just yesterday, the workers of the Judicial Service of Ghana were virtually forced to open the courtrooms for the Supreme Court to sit. These acts of intimidation and coercion are against the ILO Convention number 87. Only recently, the Judicial Service Workers Association expressed their happiness about the environment created by your predecessor, Justice Enemy Yavua. And they commended him for maintaining a friendly work environment. What assurances will you give the Judicial Service Association of Ghana on issues about intimidation and coercion, especially on their leadership, as far as their job security is concerned, when they express their unhappiness about the work environment? I think that I, I said earlier that I've been in meetings with them, even though I'm not in office yet. I was sculpted to sit in. And um, we, have, we've, we had very cordial meetings regarding the current situation. But apart from that, I think what happened regarding the opening of doors had nothing to do with their strike. Because the court doors are, the court doors are under the administration of management. And so long as citizens were standing outside, it was important to attend to the citizens. And I believe that those issues have been ironed out. Madam, recently Supreme Court judges occupying official bungalows were evacuated and the bungalows demolished in the name of a national cathedral. <laughs> 
how much what is the accommodation situation of these affected judges and how much has it cost the judicial service so far to provide alternative accommodation for these judges to the best of my information every judge who needs to be accommodated is accommodated my question is not fully answered she said has it cost you anything more or how much has it cost you if you know that uh, to accommodate the judges who were relocated because I'm, I haven't been part of management in that capacity I do not know about values <laughs> madam my next one is on you made mention of technology uh, cybercrime today is one of the most complex issues in jurisprudence issues about the dangers AI is bringing issues about deepfake and other such technological advancements have made issues about gathering evidence and facts very very technical and difficult in your estimation how prepared as a country are we towards addressing these issues not to make it difficult for the judiciary to be able to dispense justice and fair i think that generally we are doing well as a country seeing that we don't have so much in resources um there may be there may have been some incidents regarding bank accounts etc but if you notice we uh, if you notice we regularly receive alerts when there are problems that is my perception as a citizen when it comes to e-justice i agree with you um ensuring the integrity of documentation and, and the, uh, the security of personal records within the justice sector and the security of the system is a huge part of the cost it's a huge part of the cost and it's a necessary part of the cost you cannot take your eyes off it so every step we take we have to ensure that investment is made in the integrity of records and the protection of records and that's why we are moving slowly it's one of the reasons why we we seem to be moving slowly yes, thank you chairman madam congratulations thank you sir um chairman my first question or concern has got something to do with minus. I mean those in US, the definition is under 18, but when it comes to alcohol, tobacco, and other antisocial behaviors, it's under 21. To be honest, these variables are independent variables of insecurity with very high degree of integration in our society today. 
I've been going through the law books. I'm not a lawyer, so forgive me. I haven't seen any specific law that controls the involvement and participation of these antisocial behaviors and when it comes to these factors. If there is, let me know. If it's not, I don't know if you consider that, I mean, in your jurisdiction to do something about it because it's really, really, really um, uh, being dysfunctional to the performance of our republic. I mean, it's causing us economically. So I want to find out if there is a law that really strictly deals with this situation or not. If not, what will you do? If it is, are we really enforcing it? That's my first question. Thank you, Chairman. You know, the, we, we have very robust systems for... Are you listening, sir? <laughs> we have a very robust system for managing administration of justice around children. The Juvenile Act. We, we have special calls for children, special rules for children, and we are very particular about them. We have good systems. But on a national scale, um, if I'm hearing you right, uh, I think identity and showing that people show their identity when they are buying a alcohol, they show that they really are, are, are qualified um, to engage in particular transactions. That is outside our hands. Or what I mean by our is the judiciary. That's a matter of, um, I think the administration of that is totally outside of our remit. But what is within our remit, we are very robust about it. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And that has helped me a lot because I've learned. Now, it moves me to the next question, which is almost the same. Um, it's something about power of separation. Um, the Constitution, Article 2, talks about supremacy of our, our Constitution. And I meant it to emphasize the fact that the provisions invest power in Parliament when it comes to dealing with the uh, legislative power. But sometimes, I'm not a lawyer, I come across situations where we have a clash. Just recently, there was issue about, is it, can, is it can, uh, we? Cannabis hymns. Cannabis, yes. yes. Um, the, 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 the other aspect, which is not legal, because I haven't read it anyway, is I don't know exactly what they define in Ghana, because in most jurisdictions where they even bar the use of Indian hymns, they also legalize industrial cannabis because it has a huge amount of economic value in so many countries. So even that law, I think we need to check and see which one we mean. And secondly, I want to find out between... Let me try and deal with what you, you first said. Okay. I, I don't want to the question to get too burdened. I, I think that you are referring to the constitutional duty or the, one of the jurisdictions of the Supreme Court, which is to ensure that any enactment or any act that is done in violation of the Constitution is not allowed to stand. And that is a function that we engage in all the time. Are you done? I'm waiting for his attention. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a function that we engage in all the time. When public interest, when cases are presented to court, we do the evaluation 
whether they, 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 they can stand the constitutional standards. And then a, a ruling or a judgment is given. As to the rest of your question, I think that I'm not qualified to answer it. Chairman, thank you. The last one. Yes. Madam, this issue about freedom of speech and fundamental human rights, earlier one of my colleagues made mention of that controversial issue. I think a lot of people in our country today are abusing the fact that there's freedom of speech so they can say anything at all. Sometimes a layman like me, just as I'm sure I'm committing some mistakes here legally, uh, in terms of legal knowledge, I get confused that I can say anything at all. It doesn't matter how it tarnishes one reputation in the name of freedom of speech. So where can we have clearly defined lines or if there should be any explanation so that we know where it starts and where it ends and the other one starts and ends. Because I think it's giving rise to much controversy in our society. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I think we have enough laws around the subject. We have the laws from the law of tort, T-O-R-T. Then we have, I mean, in defamation, defamation laws, we have, we, we, we have enough legal regimes around um, speech. It's about enforcement. It's about enforcement and people, and I, I think that it's, it's critical to appreciate that society is dyna dynamic. People are, go the society is growing. We are exposed to different things. And, and so certain cultures will creep in. And so um, all of us have to be mature and all of us have to assist and, and, and use the regulatory frameworks to ensure that we don't destroy the fabric of our society and that we build the fabric of our society. Everybody has a responsibility. When it comes to us, we will discharge our responsibility. Yes, Gisela. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Cliff Pure. Thank you. So it's the motto of Wesley Girls High School. And she's an old girl, and she's my senior. Although I didn't meet her in Wesley Girls anyway, much younger. Your ladyship. Uh, on your CV, uh, it says that you, you, sorry, congratulations by the way. Thank you very much. Um, on your CV, it says that you volunteered for six years with legal aid. Can you tell us the status of legal aid in Ghana today and how decentralized are the services and what you would do as Chief Justice and as somebody who has volunteered in that space before to make it accessible and more democratic to all? Thank you. Thank you. I, I volunteered with FIDA, the Federation, International Federation of Women Lawyers. And I know that we need a lot more resources, so much more. The Legal Aid Board is functional, it's a very busy board. Um, but we need resources as a country. We need to lock hands together, ensure that the, the most vulnerable people are, have access. Sometimes the qualification, um, the, the criteria that qualifies you to assess legal aid itself can put some people outside of it. 
And, and then sometimes people do not even know that they, the, it's a resource that's available. So more offices needed, more officer, officers needed, more communication needed, and more resources made available. Thank you. I believe that. But it's something I'm, I certainly will not let slide under my watch. That's good to know. Thank you. Um, what signal do you think is being sent to the to Ghanaians in the diaspora on the dual citizenship, on dual citizenship, and the signals that is being sent with all the courts we uh, are going on uh, going on around Honorable Kwesi's case? What signal do you think is being sent, and what do you think you would do about it if you become Chief Justice to give comfort to the Diaspora community. You know, under Article 8, 8 in the Constitution, we started out without even um, allowing dual citizenship. We have evolved. That, that article has been amended. And we, 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 uh, we have made several steps towards embracing um, Ghanaians who take on other citizenship. So I, I, I think that in terms of regulation, we are doing well. People have to read what has been put down. So if we're doing well, then how does that stand with the Quaysons case? When the reasons come out, you will read it. Mr. Chairman, that means that I think, uh, as you stated at the beginning, our, our vetting may be